Hi, and welcome to the September edition of the Cinetopia Radio Show and Podcast. I'm Amanda, your host, and on this show, we're reviewing four films that are currently out in cinemas in the UK and beyond. First up is Freeman by director Babak Jalali. Secondly, Past Lives by Celine Song. El Conde is next, Pablo Lorraine's next film. And finally, Brother by Clement Virgo. I also sat down with Anna Hinst, a director of Smoke Sauna Sisterhood, an amazing documentary you need to check out when it comes into cinemas in this October. All of this on this show, so stay tuned. So uh, we're back. It's September and a lot of us are here this time. So Clara, you're back. So Clara, how are you doing? Uh, I'm, I'm good. Everything yeah. is surprisingly copacetic, I'm glad to say. Yeah, you were able to catch a little bit of the uh, film festival in person, correct? Yes, I did. I did. And um, uh, I got a lot of the SDI film scene as well, which is really interesting. So I'm, I'm keen to be talking about those in the near future. So keep your eyes peeled, everyone. Great. And we're also back with Simon. Simon, how are you? Hi. Yeah, thank you for having me back. Um, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I'm just... Uh catching what films I can before the next kind of film season, London Film Festival, uh, showing some films in Glasgow. So it's kind of ramping up for that. Great. And Jim, Jim, our co-producer, Jim, how are you doing? I'm also good. I'm also good. I don't, well, I, I'm good now. I mean, we've I've had various <laughs> things, including tonsillitis lately. So oh if you'd asked me this question about two weeks ago, probably not so good. But right now I'm tip top. On the up. <laughs> Yeah. It is big film season. We're coming in lots of film festivals right now, um, coming off the Venice and Telluride and TIFF is happening, I think, and mm -hmm. lots of lots of stuff happening. Any film festivals or any films that you've been hearing about that you're really excited about for the next um, upcoming season or anything that sort of really sparking interest? I'm in a regressive mood. I'm in a regressive mood. I went to see Jurassic Park in the cinema the other week, and yes. that's where I'm at still. So pass for me on that right <laughs> no i did the same i went with a friend to see uh jurassic park on the big screen you know so as intended it's spectacular it's, <laughs> it's like watching an entirely new film really holds up really yeah holds yeah up. absolutely <laughs> well well in my case my 18 month old has uh sort of got into Thomas the Tank Engine. So I've been watching some classic Thomas the Tank Engine, <laughs> which is a cinematic masterpiece, I'd say. And I am actually, I am not being facetious when I say that. I, am genuine, <laughs> I have genuinely started gestating an article in my head related to kind of like how the production of Thomas the Tank Engine charts are kind of like history in the medium. But um, but in terms, of, in terms of films, there's a lot of stuff coming out of um, festivals. I try not to pay too much attention to sucking out festivals because sometimes I wonder if people are pumping oxygen into the theatres at some of these mm. film festivals with some of the reactions. But one film that I know that like some a lot of folk here have um enjoyed his work before is Yorgos Lanthimos and his film Poor Things seems to be getting um mm. quite a lot of um people yeah. very pleased with it. So I'll be interested to check that out. Like I I can't say I've clicked with his films as much as other people maybe have, but they're they're always interesting, right? So um that's one that I definitely want to want to check out when it eventually gets here whenever that is. <laughs> yeah, I, I I vibe. They're they're unhinged. Uh I, I'm into it. I'm in the mood. Yeah. I'm interested <laughs> to see it. As as a Glasgow resident, I have seen some criticism that, you know, Poor Things is adapted from an Alistair Gray novel. Alistair mm. Gray was a Glasgow mm -hmm. writer. His work is, you know, intensely based in kind of Glasgow 
politics and community and it's kind of a shame that poor things is the film is uh transporting that to a european context but i haven't seen the film i'm I'm excited to see it simon you mentioned you'll be seeing some of london film festival in glasgow as there's a satellite screenings jim are you planning on going to london or clara yourself uh, or checking out any of, of those films and interested in that program and what that what that looks like um, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna try and go to some stuff in person because of course I live I live very close to Mordor now. Um <laughs> so that's um that's my plan. I'm definitely gonna go in and see uh the new Scorsese. Uh, I'm gonna oh, go yeah. in and see that one day. So I don't work Fridays and I think there's a screening on a Friday at some point. So I'm gonna go and see that. Uh the press schedules came out, so I'll probably try and go see something there. I think the uh <laughs> you'll be pleased to know it, no Amanda. I'm pretty sure one of the ones that intersects with my uh, schedule is the new Sofia Coppola film. Oh, yeah. uh, Priscilla. Um, so I might well try and check that out. But I, I certainly look at the schedule, but I'm definitely gonna go in and uh, have a look at it because there's a lot of like smaller films that play at London that maybe don't get a lot of press or usually like quite interesting, but it also yeah. has some of the bigger things, which are also, you know, things I want to see. So I might yeah. try and make a bit effort. But I think usually what I do is I pick one thing to kind of anchor my day around when I go, and then after that I just kind of wing it, and that's how I've found some of the more interesting films that I've ended up seeing at London Film Festival. You know, just pick one thing so you can kind of plan your day around it, and then after that I just kind of get there and say, right, okay, I can go to the Prince Charles Cinema, and this thing's playing here, or I can go to this Curzon, that's playing there, and then just see what you end up with, basically. Mm. I think uh, for me, seeing uh, the short documentary features, it, yeah, uh EIFF really made me want to go and see some sort of like homegrown shorts more. So I'm going to go to a Shortscape Film Festival next weekend, which is at the Leith Arches. Um, it describes itself as a celebration of the developing Scottish film and video industry, uh, aiming to provide an alternative platform to showcase the works of local students and recent graduates and independent creatives. Um, so yeah, I'm going to go to that next week, I think. So yeah, might be chatting about that in the future. But, yeah, check it out That's if great. you're around in Edinburgh next weekend. Yeah, and speaking of short, Simon, um, I'm sure you're a bit excited for the Wes Anderson short that will be coming out later in the month as well. Yes, uh, new Netflix um, short film, The Wonderful Story of Henry Sugar, based on uh, Roald Dahl. I'm excited. The trailer came out this week. It looks good. It looks Wes Anderson-y. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if you like his work, <laughs> I, I'm down. Same. So uh, speaking of film festivals and Edinburgh Film Festival, uh, the films that we're reviewing this month are very much uh, were part of the Edinburgh International Film Festival, two of them. And uh, the El Conde came out of a few festivals the past couple weeks. So we'll start with the first film uh, that we're reviewing today, and that is Fremont. That was the final film of the Edinburgh International Film Festival. Tell me about the situation in Afghanistan before you left to come here. I don't spend much time thinking. Why? Too busy with my social life. Thank you. Fortune messages. They shouldn't be too lucky. They shouldn't be too unlucky. Some pursue happiness you created. I'm not meeting anybody. You don't need anybody. You need someone special. I admire people like you who have stories to tell of courage and displacement. Guess which 
immigrant hero I love the most? White Fang. The dog. Where are you from? I'm from Afghanistan. I've never met an Afghan before. You seem like a friendly people. We are. I'm just not a good example. It's okay to feel lonely sometimes. It would be very strange if people did not think about other possibilities, about other people. And Clara, can you tell us just a bit, a little bit about this film? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, first of all, um, forgive how many words I'm using to describe this this film. <laughs> a lot came to mind, but it is, it is very rich and nuanced. Uh, but yeah, so Fremont. Uh, Fremont's an absurdist, wry, uh, really dreamlike, but deadpan uh, and poignant, uh, funny, romantic, but ultimately really captivating film uh, directed by the London-based Iranian filmmaker, uh, Babar Jalali. Uh, Babak Jalali about an Afghan refugee, formerly a translator for the American army in Kabul, who finds herself in Fremont, California, working in a fortune cookie factory, writing prognostications and struggling to find a love connection and a sense of belonging and peace. So um, I I love I love this film. I think it hits all the right notes for me. Um, I've seen a lot of comparisons to early Jim Jarmusch, which I totally see in the style of the film. Um, it's just fantastic for the amount of characters which are so relatable and so hilarious um the characters are really an uh, analogous group of isolated and lonely oddball types uh, they're all just sort of drifting through life in the same corner of california somehow thrown together um the main character donya is this abstinent main character sort of barreling through the bureaucracy and bafflingly american nature of those around her who all have their uh, very distinct foibles um completely uncompromisingly um and yeah, tries to find her way through the relationships that she finds around her um, as a refugee. Um, it's really balanced, I think, in its tenderness and its poignancy, in its wit, in its absurdism and comedy. Um, it might just be really gentle, but also really powerful. And uh, yeah, just like captivating all the way through. Yeah, I I, I really liked it. I was very charmed by it. Um, I, I love the kind of subtle uh, criticism of america and then the kind of american immigrant experience that it expresses as well because i think there's a lot to criticize mm. america for with regards to afghanistan um, and donya's just come over having worked for the U u.s army as a translator and has had to flee when the taliban came back to power after america withdrew and left the power vacuum there so it's it's a very subtle depiction of america as a place where you are surrounded by platitudes. I mean, she is literally surrounded by platitudes in working in a fortune cookie factory, but also her psychiatrist, played by Greg Turkington, so good. just gives her platitudes, just reads from uh, novels about a wolf to her. It, it's a really good depiction uh, and criticism of, of kind of America and the American cultural experience for an immigrant coming over uh yeah, i love the, yeah. I love the the sort of panacea that she's given is like the, the american cult of self-love panacea just like exactly. um she's being told to uh to, as a self to all her very complex problems as a 
as a refugee who's probably seen a lot of things, <laughs> having worked on the naval base and um, seen the Taliban uh, take power again, that mm -hmm. she should just uh, re repeat the affirmation, I love myself over and over again. Yeah. <laughs> Which I think yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a brilliant send up of, uh, yes, it's, it's a nice, very simple um, satire of America, I think it points. Yeah, and that, the 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 humor that goes for with that. So I th I think I'm just going to echo the two of you. And I, I I enjoyed this film. I liked it a lot, and I think um the the performance at the center of it. Uh, so Anita Wali Zada, who's playing Donya, um, who is an Afghan refugee herself, as far as as far as I could make out from the materials I found online, mm -hmm. um, it's a really good performance. Like, is it? It's a very hard type of humor to 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 carry that right and it really works for what the film is doing and i think simon's outlined a lot of that uh really nicely um you know because i you know there's more than one way to tell the sort of like the american immigrant story right particularly when you're talking about um it coming from a sort of refugee origin well, it, it's it's funny that we have three films this week uh mm. fremont brother and uh past lives all reflect facets of the immigrant experience not necessarily mm. in america but yeah no absolutely because actually when we come to brother i'd actually forgotten about that aspect of it mm. um but yeah you know you're quite right there as well um and it's quite it's quite hard it's quite easy to make it a very sort of um heightened emotive story and um you know but this is it, this is just very it's gentle, right? But there's a real confidence with it, right? It knows what it's doing and it really kind of executes it superbly. And I have seen a lot of comparisons and, and Clara kind of like mentioned them to like Jim Jarmusch. And I think I've seen coffee and cigarettes come up quite often, yeah. right? Because, you know, because it's yeah. shot in black and white, right? And much like that film is. Um, but the thing is, another film that we spoke about on this show, actually, that actually reminded me quite a lot of was Ben Schrock's Limbo that came out about two or three years ago that depicted um, uh, refugees in kind of the, you know, the the Hebrides. And it has that same, the, the reason it reminded me of that, and it's not exactly the same, of course it isn't, but it, that, it has that same sort of, you know, deadpan, pseudo-absurdist approach to what they're experiencing, right? If you think about the opening of Limbo with that, you know, the ridiculous dance scene to Hot Chocolate <laughs> and things, and just all these all these guys sitting around going like, what in God's name is this? It's always, like, it does share a kind of a tone with, um, you know, the the Doctor, played by Greg Turkington, like, quoting Jack London novels at her in these mm. these therapy mm -hmm. sessions, right? So, I, to me, it actually reminded me quite a, quite a bit of that, and it was really a tone and a humour that I I liked a lot, um, and I think it's, it's quite subtle in the way that it pokes at American kind of, like, love of America, <laughs> mm. you know? Yeah. Um, like the very, you know, like even the way that some, uh, so so she works in a fortune cookie factory and kind of like, you know, her big promotion is moving up from making the cookies to <laughs> writing the messages for the cookies, right? right? Another <laughs> another one, like, you know, Simon's thing about the platitudes, right? Another thing where kind of like, you know, <laughs> I've moved up from packaging them to trying to produce them. I'm fully assimilated, <laughs> right? I've integrated fully. Um, but it's really like even some of the the stuff that her uh, boss who runs the place like goes through and some of the stories he tells and kind of like, you know, in trying to impart wisdom, it really does kind of, it is quite tragic in a way, right? Mm -hmm. Like quite how sort of banal and uh, middle of the road it makes things seem and makes it seem sort of like, you know, this is, this is everything that you should aspire and dream to. And obviously mm -hmm. she's not satisfied with this, right? And the 
the tone and the humor it kind of places that against it makes it a very it makes it a, it makes it an amusing watch i don't think anyone's gonna be laughing out loud at this film but it's you know it's pretty thick and fast with the thing that that kind of like absurdist humor um and i like this a lot i it didn't really put a foot wrong for me it's um you know it's quite a meandering film right and i think that's again where some of those comparisons to other filmmakers come in but for what it's trying to communicate that is the perfect tone right and i think it works superbly for it and i think the performances are all really really great and i don't i don't really have a bad word to say about it it's a really good film speaking I, of um the platitudes that um that donny's boss tries to <laughs> tries to level at her in by by way of comfort um I was reminded of so I, there's I think this film does really well there's there's uh, it toes the line between touching and tragic at times between mm. being absurd and Ryan and comedic mm. um so there's a really brilliant painting by Felix Nussbaum um called a bit called the refugee uh which depicts uh, a globe in the foreground of the painting in the background there's uh, a man sitting in despair and I, I I that came to my mind uh as Donia's boss who um is also um who's who's immigrated from China tries to highlight the connections between their cultures. Um, and he says, they're looking at a globe and he says, I was just looking at the world. Did you know that China and Afghanistan share a border? I think the people who share borders share many similarities, trying in in a way to connect with her and sort of uh, to bridge that gulf of loneliness that she is feeling and the distance she's feeling from her own culture. But it does, it falls short. And I think that the, this film captures that, yeah, the it's it's it's, it's wryly funny and touching that, um, that people are trying to connect with her and everyone's trying to connect and not quite getting there. There's a very American sense of loneliness, I think, mm. throughout the film. I, I think that there's something to love in each of the three central performances from uh, Anita Walizadeh, Greg Turkington and Jeremy Allen White. And mm. I think they all portray loneliness in contemporary America in three very different ways, but obviously all being linked by this sense of loneliness, of ennui, of uh, displacement in in uh, Donya's Donya's case. Um, mm-hmm. I I also made note of the uh, limbo comparisons that you mentioned, Jim. Mm-hmm. Um, particularly for me in the look of the film, I, I think yeah, the camera work, everything is very fixed, very rigid. Uh, so it's all very. It feels like you can't escape it. You know, even the aspect ratio of the frame is quite mm-hmm. boxy and claustrophobic. You know, it's it's very square kind of academy ratio mm. and it feels confined it feels confining which obviously reflects kind of donya's mental state uh throought the film it, it was very effective for me i think it looks great yeah it would definitely reflects the, the sort of the punishing sense of survivor's guilt that donya's constantly dealing with yeah totally <laughs> um, there's a, there's a lot of fear and feeling of being unsafe and displaced and detached and i i, I just i really admire the film for i mean pretty swiftly off the back of uh, the withdrawal of America and the UK from, from Afghanistan covering this issue and covering um, Af- the Afghani um, mm. refugee story and uh, encompassing many different facets of that fear and that guilt and that trauma. So the fears of intergenerational trauma seeping into next generations and uh, the, the punishing feeling that you experience that while uh, people you know and love continue to suffer, the fripperies of life like but mere love <laughs> or decadent and selfish somehow all of a sudden and um yeah there, there's a there's a brilliant um 
tender moment, which I particularly love, where um, Donya is speaking of speaking of that guilt um, and asks her neighbor if um, he also feels guilty for thinking of beautiful things. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and he replies, as long as your heart bears the burden of suffering and as, as long as you don't forget the past and you don't become an asshole, falling in love is your right. And he feels guilty for for not thinking of beautiful things. And I just I, I just think it's. Uh, yeah, it's it, it's a simple it's a simple way to look at the the spectrum of the experience, but I think it's very powerful in the end. Great. So Fremont is currently out in cinemas right now. So go check it out. It's a unanimous decision of the Cinetopia team to see it. Providence or fate. Do you believe in that? That's just something Koreans say to seduce someone. What a good story this is. Childhood sweethearts who reconnect 20 years later and realize they were meant for each other. In the story, I would be the evil white American husband standing in the way of destiny. Shut up. He was just this kid in my head for such a long time. I think I just missed him. Did he miss you? His arm! So the second film that we're going to review is Past Lives, which was also part of the Edinburgh International Film Festival and is currently out in cinemas across the UK and lots of places. So Jim, tell us a little bit about Past Lives. You saw it in Sundance, correct? Uh, no, I didn't actually. I oh. I, I, I was at that. Um, well, I say at, I was virtually at that Sundance. But no, I actually saw it at a press screen down here about six oh, right. weeks ago, maybe something like that. Um, so but yeah, and it went, you know, it went around the festival circuit. I think it was at Berlin as well. I think that was kind of like it was when a lot of people I know saw it. Um, so the film follows, so it follows three people, but two in particular. Um, so the two people it mainly follows are Na Young and Hei Sung, who were uh, classmates in Seoul uh, when they were children. And basically, um, Hei Sung stays in Korea. Uh, and Na Young, who then takes on the name uh, Nora, uh, once she moves to America, she moves, uh, sorry, not America, they move to Toronto um, with their family, and later in life she moves to New York City, and she's a playwright and is trying to make her uh, kind of dream come true there. A supporting character here, uh, played by John Magaro, is her husband in New York, who she, she meets. And basically the film is kind of split across three different, Kind of periods, right? We've got a brief period around when uh, the two, uh, so Nora and Heisung are 12 years old and they're still classmates and they're in Korea together. There's another period about, I think it's about 12 years after that. I might get some of my timelines wrong here, but basically the whole film takes over 
span of about 25 years, something like that. Um, so there's another strand 12 years after that where um, she reconnects with him um, and he they they start trying to do a sort of like a distance relationship but it doesn't it doesn't really work out and as that ends uh nora meets her her husband and we then follow it and this is where kind of i think to my memory the bulk of the film really takes takes place or at least a lot of kind of like where you know our actual um conflicts and drama pay off uh 12 years again after that when she's in new york and Sung has come to visit her right now the the, the husband arthur he thinks that he has come to see her and it's not an incidental trip. Uh, she's kind of laboring under the impression that that's not the case. And basically, it's it deals with a lot of things. I've seen a lot of people describe this as a romantic film. Um, I don't think I agree with that. Um, it's a very emotional film. It's a very involving film. Uh, I think the two central performances are really great. Um, it's another film that kind of deals with the the immigrant experience to a certain extent, but what I feel it was about more and what I got out of it is kind of this, how do you get closure on paths you didn't take in life, right? Because you've also got these two kind of, um, you know, childhood sweethearts to an extent who then tried something as young adults that didn't really work out. And now they find themselves as grown adults, completely separate lives, but they have this kind of common experience and common... Um, you know, shared past, and basically both of them can't really get away from the idea of, well, what if this had worked? What if this had happened? What if this had happened instead? Uh, would our lives look different? Would they be better? Would they be worse? Um, and I think the... I got a lot of it, and I connected with it. I'll leave it there, because also we're going to probably talk about it a little bit, but I just wanted to get that in there, because I have seen a lot of people describe this as a romantic film, and I'm not really sure I'm on board with that. Um, that's not to say that there aren't themes of romance present here right of course there are but i would not describe it as a romantic film it strikes me more as a sort of film that kind of you know goes into the this concept that comes up a few times in the film of inyon kind of like this uh kind of like you know people meeting in past lives and once they reach a certain level of it then they can uh be with one another and that's kind of where the title comes from past lives right um, to me, it is a lot more about that. I didn't really get a, a, a kind of like straight romantic vibe off it, but I got a lot out of it. And I think those central performances are great. And I think Celine Song's directorial approach actually is really superb. And I'm hoping we'll probably talk about that as the discussion goes on. Because I think the way that this is shot and the way that she kind of lingers on scenes really, mm. really adds to that kind of sense of longing and pensiveness. I'm just going to jump in real quick because I, I I do take, I disagree. I do think it's a very <laughs> romantic film really quickly. Um, and maybe it's how we define what a romantic film is, you know? Mm. And uh, I mean, there has been these likens to say that this is very similar to a Greta Gerwig film or a Noah Baumbach film or also a Nora Ephron film. And obviously Nora Ephron just screams romance. But I think it's this idea of a modern romantic film and also the concept of what connection is, what connect, mm. how do you connect with people? How do you connect people from your culture, your background, your previous lives, if you will, you know, how, how those things change, but how you keep people in your lives and what that means. And I, I mean, obviously I particularly really love this connection around, I, I don't think it failed. I don't think the relationship that they tried in terms of long distance, or even when he came to visit 
uh, you know, they came back together, uh, failed. I think it just shows that it evolves over time and also people evolve over time, but also they're connected to different parts of their lives. Um, I thought it was super romantic. Also just being someone who lived in New York for 14 years, the romance of that city and just sort of the way everything was very, very detailed in two very specific places. Uh, I think there's there's a love for, um, you know, for, for these locations that are being in the way that they're filmed. Um, yeah. I think this is a masterpiece of a film. And I think a lot of people are talking about best film here and there, like Oppenheimer and something. I think this needs to go off as one of the best films of the year for me. It's so, I think it's exceptional and it's it's beautiful and it's won lots of awards. It's been in lots of film festivals and it deserves every bit of it. It's really um, sensational, but I do think there's there's romance and there's more there's more. It's it's interest. It's interesting though that you you, you say that because I because I don't I, I I mean and that's why I said there's still romantic themes, right? I'm not going to say it's like completely lacking in it, but it's more. <laughs> it's interesting because everything you said about kind of like what you got from it, I 100 percent agree, right? That's that's stuff I picked up. But it's just I think it's interesting that the the way the script has been put together and the way those performances bounce off of one another, there's a lot of depth there, right? Because I don't disagree with anything you've said there, but I've come out of it obviously with a you know a slightly different feeling about what it's about but i think that kind of speaks to the strength of the film more than anything else to mm. be honest yeah i mean i i can understand why you would say it's not a romantic film. i mean yeah so as you say amanda it's in the traditional sense i think if you if you go in not knowing anything about it then you're going to be in for a, a big surprise uh, but it does deal with everything that is adjacent to romance so everything surrounding everything that the, that contributes to the making of ro- making or breaking of romance i.e uh, who you are, uh, where you are, your dreams, your your fears, uh, the, the sense of longing and isolation and loneliness, which is incumbent with those periods where you're not experiencing romance um, or in the form which you would perhaps like to. Um, so in that sense, but that, 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 as you say, Jim, just makes it all the more interesting and rich a film. So it doesn't, it's not a a criticism per se i think I, I think it's brilliant i it's one of those it's one of those films that um, the more you reflect upon it the more it gives you uh, and the more that you see in it and the more that it sort of it occupies a deeper space in your psyche and memory <laughs> which um pretty deep statement but i mean it is just one of those films it's uh it gets to the root of a lot of very human problems and a lot of human feelings in a really brilliant way <laughs> very very excellent way I have four pages of notes about this, so just <laughs> It's a very human film, and it's a very yeah. generous film. So it embodies that kind of humanness of romantic connection and non-romantic connection and being somewhere and memory and moving somewhere and, and changing and, and life changing and not being the same person you were when you were, you know, 12 years old. Um, I, I loved it. I, I really loved it. It's a it's a such a beautiful film, and uh, yeah, to to pick up on your point, Amanda, about the sense of time and the sense of place, it, it feels so specific and it feels so deeply and delicately enmeshed in those times and places. Um, you know, it it's the details about New York, it's the details about Seoul, but it's also the details about the time periods as well. You know, yeah. I was noticing how authentic the computers looked uh, 12 years ago which is quite a subtle change in kind of operating systems and stuff Mm. but the fact that they had that level of detail that level of 
quality of looking at this kind of thing was was really beautiful and really delicate and, and made it feel real, made it feel like a memory that I've never had. It's very dreamlike. It's very dreamlike. Yeah. The way it slides between different perspectives and time, uh, times and also just the, the sense of interconnected thoughts and feelings across time and space is handled very well, okay. <laughs> considering that you're, you're, you know, you're working with like a 25 year odd time scale. Mm. I think, um, I think Rafa Sales Ross, um, who's a reviewer that writes for Little White Lies occasionally described it really well when he said, um, it's a film about how chance is a kinder helping hand than destiny, um, which I think is a really modern take on romance um, and a much more, uh, yeah, a kinder, <laughs> a kinder take on romance. It says that you know that there is a chance is no less brilliant or important to love than this abstract, perhaps uh, untrue sense of destiny or fate. <laughs> and there was there was plenty about that central issue at the Ryan Trophy. I mean, like it's something that I got out of it. Like I don't want to give everybody my bloody life story here, but like <laughs> my my now wife, right? Me and her, we we started our like we met in uh, Cambridge when we both lived there. She moved back to New York, and we actually started our relationship long distance while she was in New York. So the the scene where he um the scene where he confesses to her uh, this in the film, the scene where um he soon confesses confesses to her that he misses her over Skype. That's essentially mm-hmm. like like that essentially is kind of like how our relationship started, right? Yeah. So. And now, obviously, in in our case, um, you know, the, with the aforementioned eighteen month old, that's had a slightly more kind of like you know, enduring <laughs> legacy than the one in the film did. Mm-hmm. But this idea of kind of like this idea, kind of like filling up with emotions about paths that you're not taking or you could have taken and ruminating on them and like how much should you ruminate on them and and all the rest of it 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 really struck a chord with me and i think it captures that in a really accurate involving and relatable way now obviously there's a lot of things to do with um the particular experience depicted here in terms of kind of like, you know, the mean childhood friends and her emigrating. And then, you know, like there's also that kind of like sense of connection to her homeland. And that's sort of like, there's all these different strands going on, but as we've already said, I think there's so many things going on here. And it, to me, is that well written. Right. And it has the, it has all these beautiful turns of, of phrase in it. And I, I think if you were being nitpicky, you could say, oh, well, maybe some people don't talk like that. Well, you know what? I don't care. Right. Because yeah. <laughs> because it's captured this it's captured this these feelings and these experiences really pretty beautifully, I think. Um, and something that we haven't mentioned so far, I think, is also the way it's the way it's shot. Right. And the way that Celine Song captures a lot of scenes, I think, adds to this because like, there's a tendency for like, especially early on, there's a tendency for the cameras to kind of like linger on details and drift across a scene and it kind of gives you a real kind of picture of that moment um in the life of the character right mm-hmm. um and i think that's a particularly important thing to do particularly when it has this kind of structure where we're going you know we go through these different um periods of time in their in their lives another thing that i appreciated about it was um I actually find the character, and I have seen a couple of people have a problem with it, actually, um, but the characterization of Arthur, right, so Nora's wife, um, uh, sorry, Nora's husband, um, <laughs> once we, we in the latest timeline, his characterization is, uh, like, his, his approach to this kind of, from his perspective, to a certain extent, intrusion in their lives of this, um, you know, childhood sweetheart, who I think he knows... Um, you know, wants to connect with uh, Nora on some level again. 
Um, it's framed as like maybe a bit passive and meek, but I actually find it really quite genuine and honest, right? Because I, I, I think really, yeah, I really yeah, like that relationship. I love the that exactly. No, it showed yeah. a it showed a trust and a depth of understanding of his partner's experience. Exactly. Um, you know, which I thought, you know, because it would be very easy to try and ramp up drama in the film and conflict and have you know have things that the characters need to overcome and resolve by injecting kind of like turbulence into that relationship but it doesn't do that because that's not the focus of the film right and i think the way that that relationship plays out actually felt a lot more genuine to me right because there's trust and understanding there and i think the film shows that like the nora character needs space to process those feelings and i think the final scene i'm not going to go into detail about what the final scene covers but i think the final scene really shows that beautifully and i think it was a really quite excellent way to to end the film um i got a lot out of this and i i again i think those performances are great but i think the the way it's shot also adds to that i think the film's main strength though is probably the script right there's a lot of ideas captured there's a lot of um aspects that you can relate to in there and learn about even in there and i think it's it's got a lot going for it and i think a lot of it is probably hitting the page but a lot of the other things have come together to really make sure that the ideas in that script are put forward in the best possible way. I, I yeah, I, I agree. I, I love the script. Um, I've, I, something which I see, which I think is really emblematic of the film as a, as a really um, distinct modern romantic film is the scene um, where the two finally meet in person for the first time again, um, since their, their childhood. And he just says, what do I say? <laughs> what, yeah. what, what what do I do? And it just uh, it captures the reality of the awkwardness of that situation, and um, this this fear of the, this failure to live up to the romantic ideal and the fantasy and to deliver like the iconic romantic line. Yeah. And that is the reality that those those moments don't happen uh, on demand at the at the moment which you would love to summon them, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, <laughs> as much as you'd like to, yeah. And uh, I think the exchanges between. Uh, between the husband and Nora are are just are so brilliant. It's, it's such a low conflict film. <laughs> there are no assholes or villains uh, yet. I mean, well, I mean, you, there 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 are certain conflicts, but not conflicts in the sense of you know gratuitous uh, dramas and competition and arch thing. Amanda's making a face. Well, I was just going to say, I think it's. Con- I think I, I appreciate that the husband is reasonable and understanding, but I felt a great deal of like awkwardness and uncomfortability in for him, and you know, yeah. in that oh, situation. Yeah, sure. While he was a generous person, and I think someone, I think it was Simon, you said is a generous filmer. So it's there are quite That's aspects it. that there aren't that these aren't bad characters and there aren't you know massive conflicts there's they're having this really intense conversation about relationship and love and like past lives in front of him in a different language and that's awkward and very like super state like it's it's quite awkward and if i was that person i would be like what the heck is going on i I, I agree but i think i think the film captures that beautifully right because Mm. there's then a conversation between the two men after that right and i and i think it's i think it it, that that's the thing i think it captures that it's it's really well though it's the nuance of that and there's certain aspects there's like one you know i can't relate to every part of this story but I can relate to as you said Jim which I think is funny because you're the one who said it wasn't romantic and you had that situation <laughs> yeah no it's true uh, I, do, and, I do realize now that I see it yeah and, oh. I, and you know I've had long distance relationships as well that relate that you have to use media certain mm. certain media and I think for one that expresses 
that kind of relationship, how, you know, very, very well. The other thing is it expresses what New York and 12 years of New York does to you or who you are in that sort of way. And also just the complications, like it's the East Village, which is, was my neighborhood. And the, like like just the, the luggage, even though I was kind of the one thing I was like at the end, he's carrying the luggage in the middle of the night and then he's in the morning. I, I don't know, like the, there were some time issues with like how he got to the airport and why he needed it. But there was these things, <laughs> like- I think he was, had an early flight. I think that yeah, was- Very, very early. Very like, early flight. And they were like saying goodbye <laughs> at like 4.30 a.m. or something like that. But anyway, the, other than that, I think all of those awkward things is what makes this a modern romance, is what makes it nuanced, is what makes it special and what makes it precious. And I'm sure, and very similarly, we're talking a lot about the New York part, but there's also the Seoul part. And there, you know, there's there's this part of place and and being Korean that is like part of her life, which the, you know, the main character brings up that I think yeah. is just really, really special. And it I, I have seen the film criticized for this kind of overt lack of conflict that we've been discussing, but I, I don't see that as a problem for um... it. I, I don't. I don't yeah. I think it's a it's like as as I said, a generous film and a mature film where there is huge emotional conflict, but it's not on the surface. It's all yeah. internal mm. and it is all played through. Yeah, no, and you've hit the nail the, on the head yeah. there. It, it's conflict it's conflict almost internally within each character, right? Yeah. And and the way that the characters are relating to one are sure it's spurring that on, but it's not conflict it's not really conflict with like in opposition to other characters and i think because it's because it's ostensibly and probably pitched as a relationship drama i think that's to me that's maybe more a case of misaligned expectations but i mean yeah. The, the, yeah. the thing is right if you think about kind of you know the way relationship dramas or the way relationships play out in real life like a lot of the time they don't play out like dramatic films they don't, no, they don't right they're, fu they're full of people you don't have to you know throw yeah, a they're bunch full of awkward moments and it's, it's you know they're full of awkward moments and things you wish you'd said or had yeah. wish you hadn't said like it, that that's how these things play out right and i think the film does an amazing job of like getting that across and i think what i what stays with you about this film and i think this speaks to um, its strengths and what it's, what it's trying to get across. I think overall it leaves you with a feeling, right? It kind of leaves you with a feeling and a vibe. It doesn't really leave you with, um, you know, thinking about specific things. It's just mm -hmm. whether it connects with you on an emotional level. And for me, it did, and it certainly sounds like it did uh, with everybody here. But I think what's fascinating about it and speaks to the strength of the film is I think we've all connected to it with through a slightly different through line, right? Yeah. Um, and I think that really does speak to kind of like the layers that this film has in terms of the emotions it's delivering. It's a it's a reasonably straightforward story, but I think the way that it's written and the way that it, those performances deliver it um, gives you it gives a lot of people different things to kind of like capture onto and come away with a feeling from the film. Yeah, an absolutely astonishing directorial debut. Like like for her first film, it's it's incredibly confident. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's another person that if Celine Song does not get a nomination for best film, I'm going to be mad. It's a couple of them I've already said. Um, but really, yeah, really beautiful. Really beautiful film. I mean, I could go off on a few, a few things, as I say, on that film. Like, yeah, I just, I, I would, I would talk more about the, the way that it, the rarity of, and of cap, of successfully capturing romantic relationships that are conducted virtually 
um yeah, yeah apart from, so you've got yeah. like you, you've got mail or like you know the the kelly Rowland music video where she gets broken up with over an excel spreadsheet it's <laughs> <is> pretty much <laughs> like <laughs> perhaps her yeah the, I, it was a little uh for me it was you know because i've had a long distance relationship uh in the past and that little Skype chime, the little Skype yes, chime. Yes, I said from I wrote that, that time, down as well. It was like a, I wrote that a, down like as well. A Proustian, you know, Madeline. I said it was a Pav- I said it was a Pavlovian response, like yes. just because they they always like turn around and then you know it's you, yeah you you end up getting that kind of romantic feeling from this horrible automated jingle sound because you're having. It, it, it's also quite funny how it kind of like I think it like it lines up with my age actually and the age of the characters quite mm. well. So even those kind of like moments where like the internet connection's not really quite good yeah, enough exactly. to have a flowing conversation, <laughs> yep. like you yep. know it, it like it does it can captures it captures feelings and emotions well it does have the occasional kind of like um yeah i'm glad you brought that up clara it's a good point actually that, like capturing a relationship that goes virtually it does that very well right which is difficult to do it is difficult yeah. to do and reflects the current ubiquitousness and the necessity of it i mean we all conduct to a degree our modern romantic relationships via like whatsapp phone call course, yeah. text whatever even if you're not in a long distance relationship mm. so I, I just find it so poignant and uh uh, re- relatable that uh, when they're uh, they're apart from each other and they're recommending each other movies and then watching them alone uh, just to feel close to somebody yeah. uh, staying up at all hours and grinning foolishly maniacally uh, at a screen alone in public and laughing <laughs> <laughs> um, it's just it's yeah it's brilliant I just I think it's brilliant and we've we've only sort of briefly touched on the fact that this is largely an immigration story you know is is what about what it is to be a sort of become a, a sort of third culture person where you feel like you're neither in the culture that you came from anymore and neither and not fully in um the culture where you find yourself mm-hmm. and i just i just find that that it captures so perfectly um she was at nora saying a point like oh it's so korean he's so korean <laughs> and criticizing her own uh her um ability to speak korean and um, and then, and then even her saying that's just something Koreans say when she's referring to to India, the Indian, sorry, uh, the concept of this these um, connected lovers, lovers connected through fate over over spans of various lifetimes. Mm. Um, I just love that that she she wants to be cynical, she wants to be immune, and she wants to, uh, and she ends up being, as you say, Amanda, a New Yorker, <laughs> like a yeah. realist, a cynic. Uh, that she doesn't want to admit that she could be taken in by this like romantic hokum, which is so relatable, and I. Not that I believe that it is hokum, but you know that is the cynic's view. No, but there was a distinctly New York. After twelve years, what happens to you? That was very clear. That relationship between her husband and herself were were very was very very New York. Like the everything yeah. about that and the ability to analyze that and sort of still hold on to your identity because that's the you know that's an important thing about being an individual and being a creative and actually kind of. To the fore of your New Yorkness, if you will. So she became a New Yorker, but then grappled with her past and her past connections, and that's that felt very distinctly New York, which is what I said. It was very relatable to me. So funny, like when uh, Nora's having uh, the conversation with her husband about whether this interloper will, in fact, it does mean trouble for their for their marriage, and um, and then Nora asks her husband. Are you asking me if you were the answer to my parents' immigrant immigrant dream? Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it's so smart. It's so it's self-reflective. So brilliant. It's, it's, so, it's really good. Yeah. It, it's just really good writing. Would watch again. 
Yeah. Yes, we'll watch again. Sure. We'll watch we'll, again. No doubt. Very soon, probably. We'll watch again and we'll um, debate whether or not it's a romantic uh, film. I, th- I think I'm willing to... They, they, listen, I, I, I'm going to stand by that it's not kind of like a stereotypically romantic yeah. film. I, I will roll back. I will roll back on saying it's not. I think it's more It's more just I have seen some stuff like, like, oh, well, you know, I was expecting, you know, people say it's a romantic mm. film. I didn't really get that. For it. It's like, I don't think, you know, that's... It's not aiming to be in my view, a romantic film as much as it's a film about many things, one of the overarching things being romance, right? And I realise that sounds like a very wanky, <laughs> nitpicky way to put it, but I do think I do think the way I put it, kind of like, I'll stand by that, but yes, I will uh, yeah, go back a little I, bit I think my, I agree. my opening statements. Yeah, sure. I think it's a human film. It's a film about human connections, some of which are romantic. Exactly, precisely. No, I agree. Yeah, Simon has put that a lot more concisely than I did, yes. <laughs> Either way, it's a great film. It's a unanimous decision. You, we will see it again. We do hope it does. Yeah, it, people continue to watch it, and you should as well um, at a cinema near you. Quiero vivir 250 años más. ¿Por qué no? Porque me trataron de ladrón. A un soldado se le puede decir que es un asesino, pero no que es un ladrón. Pero robaste, ¿o no? Yo vine para acá porque dijeron que iban a repartir plata. Eso te lo dije yo para convencerte, imbécil. ¿Y entonces no van a repartir nada? Buenas tardes. Buenas tardes, señor. All right, so the next film that we're going to review premiered, I believe, at Venice and is now on Netflix, but it's uh, El Conde uh, by Pablo Lorraine. Uh, We've reviewed a few of his films over the years, and uh, Simon's going to tell us about this film. Yeah, so uh, General Augusto Pinochet uh, led a military coup d'etat against a democratically elected socialist President Salvador Allende in Chile in the 1970s. He instituted a school of economics, the kind of Chicago school of economics that led down the road to kind of neoliberal Thatcherite and Reaganite economics that the US and the UK still suffer under. This film reimagines uh, General Pinochet as a vampire and being born in the during the French Revolution, he has dedicated his immortal life to crushing popular revolutions and workers' <laughs> revolutions around the globe. So in this film, he is he has faked his death, uh, you know, the, the death of General Pinochet. He has faked his death, and he is struggling with the idea of living forever and wanting to die, and also with his family dividing up his, his estate and his inheritance. I wanted to like this a lot more than I did. Uh, I really liked, I I was on the show, I think, for Spencer, Pablo Luen's last film, and I really loved that film. I wanted to like this a lot more. I think the premise is fun and has a lot of promise. I just don't think the film really came together uh, for me. But I'm interested. Gee, that is so interesting. It's, it's, isn't it funny? Isn't it just so wonderful <laughs> how we can have completely inverse opinions? Because I was, I, yeah. I was, <laughs> uh, because I, I uh, as 
if you've li- if you listen to the show where we talked about Spencer, I oh, don't yeah, know you what didn't to like say Spencer, about Spencer. I, yeah. I did not. I had I, I had criticisms about Spencer for yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. This was our team for Spencer, huh? It was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it was actually. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I inversely went in being quite skeptical, but actually came out having really enjoyed myself. And on reflection, <laughs> having having thought it was actually a really good film, and it handled it handled correctly. So, um, it coincides with the fiftieth anniversary of the Trillion Coup. Uh, U.S. backed. Let's mention that every opportunity. Oh yeah. CIA backed. Yes, precisely. Um, and I, I just, I think I'll just go straight in with talking about um, Lorraine himself as a filmmaker. So um, Pablo Lorraine has been criticized by other Chileans for making this film um, because, well, specifically left-leaning uh, Chileans, because his family um, background, because of his family background, so his family are involved in sort of in right-wing uh, politics and um or part of the Conservative Party and supported the dictatorship, uh, helped to displace a lot of um, native people uh, in Chile. So there's a lot of questioning about whether he is the correct person to be, quote, telling this story, which I find a really interesting point because arguably he doesn't have any business making Jackie or Spencer either, if you're going to go by really stringent mm-hmm. kind of critical yeah. guidelines. I mean, um, also, unless I've missed something, Pinochet isn't a vampire who's lived for precisely. It's, years. So, that's exactly. Know, so it, exactly. So it's not like he portrayed him in a serious biopic depicting Pinochet as like a strong statesman, if a maniacal psychopath. He's a vampire. Like it's pretty categorical where he, and also considering the fact that his um, Lorraine's 2012 film No, which deals with the 1998 mm-hmm. national plebiscite to determine challenging Pinochet's rule. Um, was was a really brilliant film and leaves no kind of illusions about uh, about where he stands on the political spectrum. I think that's a a bit of an unfair criticism. Um, it's 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 not a super serious film, and it sends it, it sends up Pinochet in a serious way in a sense without being without taking the piss out of the seriousness of the situation. I feel you may disagree with me, Simon. <laughs> I, I don't disagree. I think that that that's that's entirely valid. I just thought the satire was way too heavy-handed for me. Mm, um, like the, this this image of uh, Pinochet, you know, continuing to suck the life out of the people of Chile and flying over Santiago to find victims. It, it just it all became a bit heavy-handed, especially in the third act. I don't want to give too much away, but especially in the third act, it just became very uh silly for me yeah i think um i think i i i can't i honestly can't decide and this is why i'm an absolutely horrendous person to d- discuss films with sometimes <laughs> he says he says on a film podcast where he's discussing <laughs> films with people but i i honestly can't really decide whether i like this film or not right i think i got i got some enjoyment out of it right, right. in the sense that basically the, the entire concept right that this entire one hour 50 odd minute film runs on is an entire giant metaphor right and it basically comes down to whether you find it that particular central metaphor that simon just described engaging and amusing mm. or if you don't think it really delivers much now to me i had fun with it i don't think it had enough uh you know, I'm not going to use a vampire pun because it's probably be done to death now. But it didn't. It didn't have enough meaning <laughs> for me. Right? Oh my god! Um, oh my god! <laughs> no, 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 what? That's not vampire. I'm saying I'm not doing one. That's not one, right? It, actually, actually, that's like, zombies. Oh, not enough, you, you know, anyway, it did get the blood pumping up. You know, what, anyway, right? The, but the point I'm making is, it, for me, 
it didn't really it didn't really deliver much beyond the premise right and it's a premise yeah. i had fun with exactly. but i think to really like it more i wanted to see i wanted to see more from it right now, i agree I, before i before i go any further with this right something that's going to inform how i talk about this film one as the film opens right there is a narrator right are we as a group considering the identity of the narrator to be obscured and something so, to be revealed. Yeah, so I, I saw oh, I saw reactions I want to talk of about it. that were like, "You'll never guess who the narrator is." It's a real twist. I like, guessed it within, within two the sentences. First five seconds. I'm like, "Yeah, wait, well, it's obvious who that narrator is." There's a discussion Spoiler about it. Alert. So if you don't want to know this about the film, then perhaps you maybe skip the next four or five minutes, right? But I, to me, I think for what the film's trying to do. I think to discuss it, we probably need to make it clear. Now, I, I also want to make it clear that I think to anybody who knows the slightest thing about Pinochet, mm. right, I think it's going to be incredibly obvious who the narrator is within about two seconds of her opening her gob, frankly. Um, So just to, to kind of like to, you know, stop beating around the bush here, right? But it seems pretty obvious to me from the off. The narrator is Margaret Thatcher, right? <laughs> Very obviously, you know, to me, to me, it's not, it's not a twist, it's not a no. reveal, right? Because it, like, famously, they famously, famous she defended, in the first defended yeah, Pinochet. She was about... the one who said he should go back and be tried in Chile when he was arrested in London, and all the rest of it. And like after he was arrested, she sent him a bottle of goddamn whiskey, Scotch, you know, Scotch. like, you know, um, and Beep. to me, that that's it is kind of central that idea to what the film is trying to get across with its central metaphor, right? Because, of course, the you know, like, how is Thatcher narrating this if she's dead? Oh, oh, oh well, you know. <laughs> um, you know, so it, it's this this idea that these absolute ghouls of politicians continue to cast a shadow not oh. only on the people that they ruled, but kind of the people in other countries that they affected with their rule, right? And Obviously, Lorraine being Chilean and much of his career being like looking at you know Chile as a society, it focuses on on um, Pinochet, right? And obviously, it's trying to draw um, connection between the stuff that Simon mentioned in the intro by introducing Thatcher as a narrator, and it's a concept like that concept. I liked it. I thought it mm. was funny, right? <laughs> I, I it's it, it. I I enjoyed it, right? And I I love the fact that it gets across. What an absolute ghoul of a person that was, right? In this kind of like completely ridiculous way that I enjoyed in a lot of in you know in a lot of ways. <laughs> to me, though, it just didn't have enough behind it. Like, what are you saying beyond this? It yeah. felt to me like the idea for a really funny horror short right. that was then stretched out to an hour and fifty minutes, right? Because because there is a lot of stuff that I think it's trying to say about kind of. The legacy of Pinochet. So a lot of the this a lot of the kind of like what it centers on is uh, Pinochet's children fighting over their inheritance, right? Mm. And you know, and it becomes a bit scattershot in the sense that you know, like a nun, a nun character is brought in to do the accounts and also an exorcism. So like, there's maybe some comment on like the church there or the, the Catholic church there as well. And you know, in terms of the way that the kids are fighting, there's a little bit of a comment about kind of, you know, like there's mm. a, there's a few different targets, but I don't think it really delivers much on any of them beyond kind yeah, of, of the legacy of Pinochet and Thatcher, frankly, right, yeah. it, itself, but it, it doesn't really do much with the concept beyond that, and it's a funny concept, 
I liked it. I had fun with it. I can't honestly say that it's left me thinking about it that much after. That's really yeah. I, I mean, it, it got me. It got me reading about him again. I guess. <laughs> so if you're, you know, if it's, it might kickstart a sort of reevaluation of neoliberalism and dictatorships and the connections that you have to the current governments. Mm-hmm. I suppose. Um, I'd yeah, like no, to hope no, it reminds everybody of Thatcher's role with Pre- Pinochet. Precisely, because like, there know, are people like... that won't understand that won't know that. Just to just to make that clear while we're here. Um in 1999, when Pinochet was under house arrest in Britain, he'd been arrested in London, uh, Thatcher decided it would be completely appropriate and not uh, not messed up at all to, uh, to send him some scotch with a, a letter that read, Scotch is one British institution which will never let you down. So there, there's more to that as well. There's a whole, you know, we supplied arms to the Chilean government. Also, a uh, fun fact, uh, Scottish arms workers in a factory uh, went on strike in the in that period uh, because they, in solidarity right. for Chilean uh, for Chilean people, that's something to look into if you're interested. Oh, also, another I know, good uh, film around it. A lot, of my knowl- a lot of my knowledge around this period actually comes from the documentary film Ne Passeran, actually, yeah, which exactly. has that, right? So that's, that's definitely a film mm-hmm. that's also worth, worth checking out in that regard. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but yeah, no, it's just a, it's a very sort of a, the, the film is yeah, it's it's fun but not very deep. But I I enjoyed it. I think it was very well done. It was it was a sort of a, a brothers grim kind of story with a lot of allegory. Yeah, uh, a lot of, about infighting and about yeah the church. Uh, very grisly. I, I liked it. It was it was it had it had touches of sort of the bloody the bloody chamber a bit of Tim Burton thrown in there for good measure. But grisly, absurd, satirical, dark funny there is there was at moments there was uh there was some actually very beautiful and stark uh cinematography and some imagery and yeah very, totally like I, nightmarish I, uh shots of it. i think Which I, I, I think I've, I've you know we've discussed what i don't think works in the film but on your point cloud there's some incredible and striking images mm. in isolation like some very gothic mm. uh, images i'm thinking of a young pinochet licking blood off a guillotine blade yeah. Fun. great image Pinochet gliding above the streets of Santiago, his cape <laughs> flapping in the breeze. I giggled so hard. I Looked loved it. Great. I loved yeah. It. I, I I loved, you know, that that look of the film. Just don't think it came together. Yeah. I mean, they're actually really art, beautiful, artful sequences. You mm. know, uh, we're in the nun who uh oh, yeah, takes, who, who is taking on the satanic vampire Pinochet flies and dances across mm. a bleak landscape. Uh, and it's, it's it's really heavy with this sort of brittle poetry, which I think mm-hmm. ensures that the film is as a whole doesn't totally make light of the horror and brutality enacted by Pinochet's regime. But by and large, I do agree with both of you. But yeah. So I'm gonna disagree. I'm gonna disagree with Clara on that last point and go back to what uh, Simon was saying. Technically, what I did like about it is technically, I thought it was a very interesting film. I think it's important to note that. Pablo Lorraine was the camera operator as he's listed as a camera operator as part of it. And if they were using technology in this, in this film in the way of using old lenses that um, uh, certain directors that, you know, back in the forties or fifties were using, they, mm-hmm. they, they filmed this entirely with the idea to build like a black and white image instead mm-hmm. of like reshifting mm-hmm. it into black and white, a film ship was created in order to build this film. So Ed Lackman, the, cinematographer who came up with this concept but the idea was about this like kind of 360 thing which you saw with less of the sort of like Mm. shots and lighting and stuff so I feel like the film was beautiful so it stopped I was captivated by a lot of these kinds of images the images of of Patagonia and like the the land and the scape and stuff like that Mm. I didn't think and I think this goes back to my I have a 
I like certain films and certain aspects for their story and structure and stuff that I don't like the tone. And I don't, I don't necessarily feel comfortable with films like Jojo Rabbit, which I think is mm. like a twee version of something that's a terrible mm. subject. And I think that's a problem that I, it started out with me. And I, you know, Jim, you were talking, it, I'm, if we focused on the hungry, greedy kids and not as much of Pinochet as a vampire, that makes it funny. And I just uh, like that I'm uncomfortable with. And and at the same time, I've not seen Lorraine's original stuff, which you mentioned, Clara, specifically, that I think that's kind of part of what Pablo Lorraine is known for, where I know him from Jackie and Spencer and Ima, which we've I really loved. I loved like the color and the like I, the way that film was fed. I just I I think I was grappling between tone and technical interest in the film that there were yeah I understand yeah it's it's tough I mean so I watched it last night like late last night so I guess my thoughts are still forming about it but I do th I feel like the nun character did save it because through her the hatred of this man is voiced very succinctly and I mean yeah she has a lot of a very scathing to the point and quite and quite astute um observations about about how Pinochet functioned and how he operated and how he came to power which for you know if people don't have a lot of background that is it's a good it's a good in for people I mean if you're stum if you're on Netflix just stumbling around then that you they may be interested in it um and I think they imagine conversations between Pinochet and his butler uh discussing their odious history who is by the way butler being the second in command when he was in power um discussing their odious history and their gory foibles as if they were discussing each other's partiality for well, scotch or for pastries did toe the line where it was sort of it did feel like it was taking the piss out of something that was very that's very serious and it, I, I kept thinking of Han of, of, of the banality of evil and the, all the writing on the banality of evil and where yeah about how when you try and scrape the surface of evil and evil acts and people like what do you find where, where, where and it, i think i think almost the absurdity of this film is an interest is interesting in and of itself because it reveals what there is kind of going on in that vacuum it's just like this sort of warped nightmarish set of conversations because this, this film does feel like it was something that uh that Lorraine had a dream about and then decided to run with it <laughs> pretty much I did not get the impression that Pablo Lorraine is making a comment about about all of these like it was very clear it was an hour and 50 minutes long you, you knew what side he was on it's just that it seems the the commentary of something mm. being slightly dilly but for example, with Hitler, like you know, you know, when um, like when you're watching um, the send up of Hitler dancing across a room with the globe in a musical number, like you're not like you're, you're laughing at the dictator himself, yeah. I suppose. Like I mean, that that's how I'm trying to read it, I suppose. But I, I I did in the back of my mind, I keep thinking, well, it's easy for me to think this and to make justifications. But how would you feel if you still are living directly with the I, implications? I, I, I think the, the com I think regime. the conversation that the the pair of you are having kind of speaks to the. The thing that the film maybe doesn't, in my view anyway, do, do great in that it, it it does struggle with tone a little bit, yeah. right? And I think that I I think that's why it doesn't necessarily deliver as sharp a satire as I think right. it needs to. Now I'm not yes. gonna, I'm not going to relitigate um Spencer and, and Jojo Rabbit because right? Jojo Rabbit I actually got quite a lot out of Jojo Rabbit apart from the final scene. The final right. scene is ridiculous, yeah. right? I think it'd be it'd be a much better film if we got rid of that final scene. Yeah. I think that's absolutely horrendous. Yeah. Beyond that, I did I did you know prior to that point get quite a bit out of that film and the way that it was actually depicting um Nazism, right? And 
Spencer, right, just to, to go back to, to Lorraine's filmography, I think what I would say is despite the fact that film is a is a portrait of a time in Princess Diana's life and it kind of obliquely deals with the royal family, I actually think that does a lot better a job of criticising totally. Britain and British society in the 80s than Thatcher's role in this film does, right? right? Totally. Uh, you know, yeah. just to even stay within his filmography yeah. and his recent one, I think it do- actually does that in a much... Uh, smarter way with oblique references than than this film does with quite um you know very on the nose ones um and I think that to me kind of sums up the fact that it struggles a little bit with the tone in what it in how it wants to say things and then it doesn't necessarily deliver fully on it for kind of the the amount of time that we spend with these kind of like very exaggerated characters and to go back to clara's mm. point about kind of like it feels a little bit like something that pavel Lorraine had a dream about and then woke up inside to make a film about it. that that's kind of how it feels to mm. me when i made that mm. reference to it. it feels like the concept of a kind of like funny horror short then spun out totally. into something that's kind of what i feel it, it feels like to me but it's like it doesn't quite have the satirical um you know substance to then sustain that over the runtime of the film and i think that then makes it a bit easier to um take issue with some of these maybe elements that maybe it does feel a bit trivializing because if it doesn't Mm. have the substance to back it up then it will you know um and i think so i think i kind of agree with everyone to to an extent i wanted to like this more i got some stuff out of it um but it does struggle with certain aspects isn't it kind of disappointing that someone who made such a good horror film out of spencer and we've talked about that in terms of with like how tar feels like a horror film and spencer Mm. feels like a horror film and yet he made a horror film and it's (laughs) not and it's a doesn't have the same nuance and uh, intense horrorness to it as it as it's his previous film is so i yeah i, I i'd go so far as to say it doesn't have the same bite <laughs> of course you do i love it I, you know you know so i worked so hard to not say satirical <laughs> bite a few seconds ago and he's just what straight the irony of us taking the piss out of it with, with I, I do have a, the- I do have a theory actually about why um it's maybe it doesn't feel like such a good horror film as that and i'm actually going to put it down to in my view the music right because mm-hmm. the, i something that's probably worth noting spencer had a score done by johnny greenwood right, right yeah. and i think it's some of his score. work right if you think about kind of like you know there will be blood like all, all these mm-hmm. things that he's done right it, it some of them in particular for spencer they just sound so nightmarish at points right so i think a lot of spencer's strength you know and that's not to play down Lorraine's contribution because obviously he's a fantastic filmmaker and that that in my view is an excellent film but I think in terms of kind of like that particular aspect of it a lot of it came from that and I do, you, you know you don't you don't have that um you know to the same extent here so I think that that's maybe part of it for me while we're comparing Spencer and and El Conde I, I think this film needs an emotional anchor as well yeah. which we have in Spencer in the in the place of Diana Spencer uh Kristen Stewart's terrific performance and here we don't have that kind of emotional anchor yeah we, we just spend a lot of time with general pinochet and his oh i like carmen the nun i was into carmen the, the nun, nun i was, yeah, the I was nun into does kind of but, that but, but that's the thing it didn't really work yeah. for me i think but, i think like to speak to clara's point earlier yeah. right that's that's kind of the role the, the role that simon's talking about i think she's meant to fulfill mm. that to mm. a certain extent but she's but, not in it enough and she yeah. doesn't well, get exactly, developed enough as a mind. character yeah 
there is but real that's, I like that though because the, the way that she's so dispensable and is so just like you know and then um so immediately her so so as as a nun her belief in God is what she's got going for her and that's her like strength against against Pinochet and then the, the narrator immediately saying like and her love of God if that means anything and it's just immediately I think I think the hopelessness and the flimsiness of that character and her arc is is in and of itself meant to be like telling that you can't really come up against the dictatorship and, and mm. win or you can't exist in a dictatorship but um but yeah, I know I I I I do understand what you mean though. I think it ne- it did need a little bit more there, among its many flaws. <laughs> it felt like the film's moments of genuine anger, and I'm, I'm interpreting this as Lorraine's moments of genuine anger, mm. came through the voice of the nun when she's talking right. to the many members of the Pinochet family and outlining what I'm sure actual crimes of of the Pinochet family. But yeah, as a character, it didn't really wasn't developed enough for me to 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 glom onto. Well, do you and his next film, by the way, is going to be more along the lines of Jackie and Spencer, I believe. Uh, uh, Pablo Lorraine's planning a film about Maria Callas uh, with uh, Angelina Jolie, as which is interesting. But mm. um, or but but anyway, so that will be with the same cinematographer. Cool. El Conde is on Netflix at the moment. It had a really short uh, cinematic run, which is, I guess, a shame because it would have been nice to see it in the cinema. I mean, I guess it's still there, but like before they put it on Netflix and you can catch it on Netflix and uh, let us know what you think. You watch me. Follow my every move. I'm Aisha. I know your brother, Francis. Everyone knows him. Where are you going? Just gonna meet some friends. I don't want you running the street with no hooligans. You hear me, Francis? Take your brother with you. Don't make anybody disrespect you. All right. So the next film we're going to review is Brother, which is opening in the Glasgow Youth Film Festival on the 22nd of September. And Jim, why don't you tell us about that film? Yeah. So um, Brother, um, which I think is a film which also debuted at Sundance, but I can't remember uh, exactly, is following two brothers in the Scarborough area of Toronto, um, who... So the film opens with them climbing up some electrical towers, right? So you've got the older brother, Francis, uh, and then the younger brother, Michael. And basically, this is another film, actually, which jumps between um, a few different times in the lives of these brothers, right? So we've got this sort of early period, their early childhood with their uh, mother. Their father is absent, and their mother is a... Immigrant Scarborough, I think Jamaican, um, but don't quote me on that, but I'm pretty sure it is, and certainly there's a jacket that Francis wears later in the film that would imply probably is Jamaican, even if it's not said explicitly. Um, and then there's another period uh, when they're in, I think, meant to be in high school, uh, and basically you see the way that Francis carries himself and how he differs in the way that he um, carries his kind of 
masculinity and the way in which he presents himself compared to the younger brother Michael and this kind of like feeling of security he gives him. And then there's another period, uh, which is set about 10 years after that, where Francis is not there, right? And I think it'd be, it is, it's apparent from the off very quickly though, that Francis is no longer with them. But of course, part of the mystery is kind of like, well, how has this happened and how is everybody dealing with that? Um, so there's a few characters bouncing around. You've also got the two brothers, you have their mother, um, and you've also got a um, neighbor and kind of former girlfriend of uh, Michael's, uh, Aisha, uh, also involved in this. And basically in the later timeline, they're trying to kind of like, celebrate uh francis to an extent and try and bring their mother um bring his mother out of her her shell that she's kind of retreated into as part of grief uh it's obviously shown that kind of michael has gone a similar sort of way and it basically just kind of like draws the lines between these two things are kind of like you know how their lives began and what there was maybe lacking or what they interacted with how they related to one another and how that kind of affected michael in particular i would say and then the way that that means that the not only the family but also the community are dealing with it um later on so um I'll leave it to you, good folks, to kind of like outline what you thought of it. I got a lot out of this. Um, you know, I I've thought about it quite a bit since I actually watched it. Um, I can't honestly say that it's necessarily um a unique film. I have seen a lot of films in recent years that have dealt with this sort of idea and some of the themes that are at play here. I don't think I've necessarily come across as many that have dealt with it as um kind of humanely and confidently as this i would say um but i'm interested to see what you made of it yeah i liked it i i I think yeah it's not my favorite film that we saw this month but i think it's a strong film um about these kind of themes of brotherhood feeling safe uh, and in particular memory and trauma i think there's a lot in the depiction of trauma through the non-linear storytelling, the distortion of linear time. It's it's got this playfulness of time that's kind of reminiscent of it's reminiscent of a lot of films, but in terms of mainstream filmmaking, Christopher Nolan. But I think this serves the themes around memory and trauma a lot better than is often done in Nolan's films. So, you know, tooting my own horn a little bit, I wrote a book about uh the distortion of linear time to represent trauma in films. And I think that this does it really well um, and, and really gets across that kind of black trauma, that trauma of being black in a white supremacist society. Um, it, it, it really unlocked a lot of the film for me when I realized that we never see any white people's faces in the film. They're always cut off uh, either just out of frame or blurry in the background of shots. Mm. You know, that, that that face of the oppressor is always formless. It is always faceless. Or or it lingers on kind of the tools of the oppressor. There's one scene with the lingers police officer the stuck in my mind where it, ling- it lingers on the baton, right? And the yes. kind of the, the threat of that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that feeling of, of not being safe, of, of having these faceless oppressors around you all the time, really, really worked for me. Um, And that, that idea of continuing continuing to live when you don't feel safe when your safety in the form of uh francis the kind of more confident brother is taken away how do you how do you continue when that safety's gone was really resonant for me and i think it is it's quite similar in many ways to a lot of films that have come out 
uh, over the past few years. I was thinking of Emergency, which I think we covered mm, on this podcast. No. I was also thinking of Tropic, which I covered for Take One at the mm-hmm. uh, Glasgow Film Festival this year, which has a similar kind of dynamic with one confident brother and one kind of not confident brother. And how does the how does that dynamic change when something traumatic happens to the confident brother? You know, how, how does that cool, popular one uh, being out of action affect the entire relationship? So I think this is a strong film. It's 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 good. I, I maybe would have wanted to see more done with the nonlinear time storytelling, built tension in, in a more effective way. But it's good. There's, there's cracking performances, um, especially from Aaron Pierre as Francis, the older brother. Um, yeah. I I, I, like... I I also want to give a shout out actually to uh, Lamar Johnson who plays Michael the younger brother because I was trying, I did throughout the first like ten minutes of the film I was trying to rack my brains as to where where I'd seen him before and where I'd seen him before was he play he had a role in a couple of episodes of um, the HBO adaptation of The Last of Us um, and I think he was absolutely superb in that as well and I think it's another very very good performance here, right? In the sense that, like, there's, <laughs> uh, there's, there's this wonderful scene between the two of two of them where Francis tells Michael, you know, you need to carry yourself more confidently, right? Everything's yeah. written across your face the entire time, and Lamar Johnson's performance really does show that, like, that you know, the poor guy looks terrified in a lot of circumstances, and it really does, it really does get across his experience really really well in that segment but then you're looking at the later segment where francis is not there and he's kind of grown up with the, the absence of his this brother that made him feel safe you can really see in that performance how i think it's um how i think it's worn on him right um and you know i don't think it's a i don't think it's a, a perfect film i think simon's point about um building tension with the non-linear storytelling I think I I would also like to have seen a little bit more with that. I don't think it necessarily did a huge amount with it. Mm. Um, what I will say is I think the 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 central kind of like framing. So the film opens with them climbing up this electrical tower, right? And we keep returning to that throughout the film. Um, I like that kind of as a, a framing device, as a way of kind of like you know not necessarily particularly subtly, but just kind of like very neatly kind of like charting the way that all those strands kind of like come together right yeah, i kind of like it's, that it's, aspect it's, of it it's but... kind of an emotional framing device where the older brother's like come on you can do it come on get up and it's it's a microcosm of their entire relationship yeah exactly and i think that's a really nice way i, I think that's a really nice and a very effective way to to frame the film that what i would say is the later kind of like the later time period depicted it's almost kind of like presented almost as kind of like a bit of a you know a mystery or kind of like you know like basically it kind of like is very presented very opaquely at first as to why francis is not there right but i think it's very obvious very early on why he's not there and i don't and that's kind of like outside of the framing device of climbing these electrical pylons that's kind of the main thing that i think the film tried to do with that that set up and i don't think it was i don't think it was particularly effective i don't think that added anything to the film i think it gets away with it because each individual segment is so confidently delivered and the performances are incredibly engaging and as i say that framing device is a neat kind of like way of tying them together but i don't think it necessarily did everything it wanted to achieve with that that would probably be my only real main criticism of the film i think because i think it also looks superb in a lot of cases like a lot of the scenes where 
the brothers are talking in their neighborhood and basically kind of like it's mainly that kind of like you know that orange kind of sodium street lamp type of like like i think a lot of the scenes in the film look absolutely fantastic right and they they look good in a very sort of impressive but natural way like it doesn't look like fake or anything like that i think there's there's a lot to like there's a lot to like in the performances um and I I did I got a lot out of it. I think there's I think it's a very it's a very effective film. I'm not necessarily wondering if it's going to linger in the same way that some of the other films we've spoken about. Um, but it's a very confident, well executed feature film. Yeah, I was thinking of uh, Spencer because we were discussing El Conde by Pablo Lorraine, and I was thinking of how Spencer handles nonlinear time and trauma. And I, again, I gave a conference presentation on what that film does and what Jackie does in some sense as well with nonlinear time and trauma. And I think they both use the nonlinear structure to build tension more effectively and to reflect on the trauma of the present day mm. in, in a way that, that I don't think this film does. It, it It's, it's like you say, it's, it's to build a mystery and I don't think it needs that sense of mystery. It, we should be building kind of emotional resonance from this kind of uh, structure rather than just just portraying it as a plot thing as oh how did this happen to to francis mm. what happened to francis yeah i mean what i will say is i think the, the main you know we've mentioned various things there i think the main strength of the film is it does it does very much focus on the characters right and i think when you're looking at this type of story there is a tendency in some films to kind of like focus on the event of the trauma mm-hmm. or the trauma itself rather than how the characters deal with it right now I, in my in my view this film is very much rooted in how the characters deal with it and i'm thinking about things like um so one film that got that got very good a very good reception at the time or at least i remember it getting a very good reception at the time um about four years ago it was a film called waves right which also kind of like shares a lot of themes with this film right it's, it's centered on um you know one one young black man it's not a it's not a brother dynamic mm-hmm. but it does have the same kind of a lot of the same themes kicking around and to me that film didn't work because it didn't to me it didn't foreground the character's experience and how they dealt with it and what their reaction is to the situations around them this is what this film is entirely about right yes. the, the 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 way that you then see all these kind of like little um microaggressions but also kind of like much larger transgressions on the part of um you know you know police officers and white people in the film upon francis and you see the way that's escalating and the way that that's in framed against this this electrical pylon climb framing device it's really it it shows that really really well and it really grounds it in that character's reaction and then how it spins out from that. Like, how does his mother react to kind of his behavior around that? How does his brother, who derives his sense of safety from his older brother, react to that? And it's all very much it's all very much rooted in that. It's not lingering on the, oh, isn't it terrible that this thing happened? Oh, it's terrible. It's terrible. Yeah. We should all feel guilty about it, right? It's much more about the people affected by it and how they react to it. And I think it it really it really kind of like built up very effective characters there, right? And that's what it makes the film about those characters more than it is about the 
it, it's more of a character-driven film than a thematically-driven film, right? Obviously, that's kind of inciting a lot of the characters' actions, but you really do understand their motivations, and you can feel that developing, and that's what the film focuses on. And so much of that is beautifully unsaid. It, it's all in yeah. how mm, Francis, absolutely. how Aaron Pierre carries himself as that character. Yeah. You really feel the relationship between these two brothers without a lot said about it. It's about body language. It's about how they move around one another. Yeah. Uh, and for your point, it's it's about how you can see how Francis reacts to these things in the environment, these uh, aggressions and microaggressions, through how his character reacts uh, and through how he moves and carries himself rather than what he says, rather than what is said in dialogue. Um, and that that's that kind of strong character-driven performance and, and film is it's quite a rare thing and it's really nice to see. Okay, great. So Brother is currently out in cinemas um, right now, uh, so please do check it out. And I'm now curious, Simon, uh, what's the name of the book that you wrote about drama? Uh, I wrote a book called uh, The Fire in Which It Burns. Hmm. Uh, which is about time, lin non-linear time and trauma as represented in uh, free contemporary television series. Um, so I just, if, if, you want, if you're interested, it's available open access. Uh, there's a link to it on my website, simonxix.com. So go there, download it, enjoy. Great. Yeah, we'll definitely check it out. Thanks so much. with Anna Hintz, who is the director of Smoke Sauna Sisterhood. Anna, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, your film is doing very well in the festival circuit. Uh, Best Director, uh, you won for World Cinema Documentary Category at Sundance. And uh, you were also nominated for the Lux European Audience Award for 2024. Um, I just want to say, rightfully so, I really feel this film is so masterfully put together. It's gorgeous and it has so much emotional depth. And the stories mm -hmm. of the women, you know, that you tell are I just I think everyone should see this film for, you know, for, for what's being told. Can I ask first what your relationship is with these women um, that you that you film? Thank you, first of all, for such kind words. It means a lot to me. Yes, the relationship um, is interesting. I made the film seven years. So um, it started first with um, friends. Uh, I come from the culture of smoke sauna. So um, I have my sisterhood and, um, and it started with that, but then it grew uh, so much more bigger. Um, in the seven years, there were women that I didn't know before, but who came to my path and, and who wanted to be part of the film. And uh, then they became part of the sisterhood. So um, there are, um, uh, yes, there are, there are um, different, different women uh, from different ways uh, who have come to me. But um, I think it's important to mention how 
um, I did it, uh, this kind of intimacy that you can uh, sense in the film and, and how, how to build that kind of trust. So um, there were some things, like for example, um, I had um, I had said to myself that I cannot persuade anyone. So it was like, because persuasion for me is a way of manipulation. And I felt that <clears throat> it's important also to create vulnerability, you have to be vulnerable yourself as a director. And, and uh, so I was transparent from the start and I um, said what kind of level of intimacy I'm looking after. And then only those who said, yes, they want to be part, then they were part. But if there was a person who was like, I don't know, I'm a bit hesitant, then I, I didn't do anything. I, you know, I, so there was no persuasion because I felt uh, you have to feel that yes uh, inside you. And then also, uh, usually when you make films, then it is like this, that uh, let's say I want to make a film with you and you say yes. And then uh, traditionally it's like you sign a release release form, yeah? You say, basically you sign that I can film you and then basically that material belongs to the production company. And I felt this is wrong. I felt that, um, you know, I didn't, wouldn't want to participate like this in this kind of intimate film. And um, I don't want others to be like that. And I also felt that if somebody would would be there with that knowledge, they would feel like um, very self, how do you say, thinking what they're saying all the time. So, um, so yes, in order to be vulnerable, you uh, create vulnerability, you have to be vulnerable. So, uh, uh, I asked and told my producer uh, uh, that, you know, we are taking risk also. Um, and the risk was that basically it was trust built on words. And in the sense that um, I told the women that um, uh, I don't want any sign from them, just trust. And uh, only in the post-production, <clears throat> when they see the cut and they say yes, then they sign what is needed. And uh, it shows uh, for the production, it is also a very vulnerable state, you know, because basically they could have said no. But I, I think that was um, that was the way to create this kind of intimacy and, and vulnerability. And uh, I firmly believe that it is possible to create bold and, and um, intimate uh, stories uh, without manipulation, without this kind of... Um, with the trust and with being, uh, um, you know, uh, vulnerable yourself. And and the, therefore, if you ask what is my relationship to these women, even though there were women that I didn't know uh, who became part of the sisterhood, who became part of the film, um, now the sisterhood is, you know, continuing. So it's not like I'm not this kind of filmmaker that, okay, I want something from you, we go, we shoot, and then bye-bye, but it is uh, it continues. And now I feel this huge, massive support from all of them. And uh, and uh, then I think it was on the second or third year where uh, the woman that you see in the film, Gadi, uh, Gadi Kivila, she came uh, on board. She's a friend and we just met up. And then uh, I told what I'm doing and she, she said she wants to be part of the film. And uh, she wanted to be there with her face. And, and then she she came there. And, uh, and it, even because Estonia is a small um, country, so people got to know that I do the film. So the women started to approach me. And once the, we were shooting and there came a car and a woman came out and I, I didn't know who she is. And she was like, can I come to the sauna with you? 
And I was like, okay, let's do it. I don't know you, but let's go to sauna and let's see what happens. That's amazing. And I think, I think exactly that's such an important point you brought about trust and, um, you know, and, and I know it's a risk as you say, but I think that really comes across in the film. You said it took you seven years to make a film and it's your, it's your first feature, right? Um, was it challenging to get it off the ground? It was full of challenges. I mean, so many challenges uh, from the start. Um, well, the first producer, for example, unfortunately uh, died on the third year of making the film. Uh, I mean, that was a huge, huge challenge and sad and sadness. Um, but then uh, all the time when we had the challenges, somehow, I don't know, universe was like gave hope or support. Um, uh, then, um, in the beginning to get money for it was uh, was a challenge because um and that is very funny uh, you know right now uh, when after sundance when i won uh, the best director award and then the jury told me uh you know pointed out all those things why why they what they really loved um and then um, i looked back to this report from the first round of funders who didn't give money and they uh, pointed out exactly the same things <laughs> as a fault and the same things that the points that got me later this uh, award. So um, I think it has been a really um, a growing process for me as a person and as a director to fully, like fully, fully trust my intuition and guts. And even when there are voices around who do not see into you um, or give, uh, for example, um, like the most... <laughs> funny um argument was that well but we haven't seen this kind of film before and then my answer is you know i don't want to make film that you have seen before so um uh, when maybe they cannot imagine what you as the author are imagining then how to stick on to that voice and how to stick on to um intuition um in more in deeper sense also because we are brought up you know Still, like even in film industry, there are these narratives of great uh, uh, male directors and their way, how it has been, and you are dominant uh, in certain ways. Uh, or, you know, there's a, I remember in film school, they were telling that uh, the most horrible thing that can happen is that the director is insecure. And then I was like, I am, I am insecure. Please, like, and then everyone is like, well, actually, we are also insecure, but we just make this mask. So how to, how to find and validate your way of um, of uh, feeling, uh, uh, creating, um, you know, thinking that has also been the challenge and journey. Uh, and in a way, it it goes together with what the film is telling to the audience uh, to radically accept oneself. And yeah. it has been my own journey also how to radically accept myself and not yeah. compare with others, but find my unique way to be and and um, and create. Yeah, I, that I mean that's such an inspiring thing for people to hear. Um, it's such a great it's a great uh, success. You did mention some of the women. One one in particular, I think I noticed too that were telling their story with their face. There, of course, there were faces you know, sort of as part of other parts. Um, was this a decision that you made to pick one or two or or not share the uh, faces of others as a stylistic choice? Or was this something, as you discussed with your trust uh, with the women, the various women that you kind of discussed before you started filming? 
Yeah, we um, it came from um, uh, from life itself. So it came in a way that that there are so few um, uh, women who are showing their face comes um, where we are in society. That still so many women are share ashamed to to talk about things with their face, and um, it was uh, came from that trust how um, each how each of them wanted to be filmed. But then I thought um, that, wow, this is actually very good stylistically also, like from the beginning, I thought that it's very good because when you go to smoke sauna, there is this kind of darkness and in a way the face uh, is not so important. And uh, you are there and you are feeling the presence of these other um, bodies around you and, uh, and uh, you're not focusing on the face like that so it kind of felt stylistically also good and then it was interesting that I was then like wow it, it's really good you know there are no faces and it works and then came the women who are like I want to be with a face and then I understood that no but then I like at first was like no but I had that style you know that there are no faces then I was like no 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 like is this the way I, I want to I want to also show who are showing their faces yeah so uh, so then I understood that if I would have cut their faces off it would be violent you know so I was like yes you can be with those faces and in the end I, that's what I believe in the process of making art also like when you trust that flow you know then things come together so now those faces that are there or the kadi the the, the woman that has her face there mostly um, she becomes like a witness. So through her face, mm -hmm. uh, through her bravery, uh, she encourages also us and gives us that possibility to be listening together with her. So, um, so yes, it was it like naturally came all like it like it is, and uh, and I was following how the women were uh, wanting themselves to be. And that was also the trust, yeah, the visual trust, because the challenge is in this kind of film, you know, you have naked bodies. And um, for us, um, and, and for smoke sauna um, tradition, nakedness is something very natural. Mm -hmm. So, and when you take your clothes off and you go there into that hot, dark, sacred space, um, it is uh, literally you take clothes off, but you also emotionally take clothes off, yeah. And you take all off also those constructs that you have about yourself, you know, or masks or or these things what you think that you are. You enter that dark kind of cosmic womb where actually you can redefine yourself or ask, for example, is the life that I'm living the life that I want to live, or or when I'm speaking in a voice, is that voice actually mine, or who does that belong to? And um, and so it is. It is very important that nakedness. At the same time, naked body, uh, especially naked women body, challenges you know um, uh, to shoot because uh, how we have seen the naked bodies of women is is usually through objectification, through male gaze, through sexual yeah. sexualizing uh, sexualizing the bodies. And it was very important for me not to do that. And um, so we were testing. Um, testing it first out with uh, my own body and, and finding the key and then showing this also to the women so they, they trusted my visual language also and um, and then yes, uh, totally trusted like who wants their face, who doesn't want their face. That's so. Yeah, that's amazing that that was part of the process and, and again to your original thought of how you were going to put this project together and the trust that you mm -hmm. 
create they're much part of that process that's that's great I also really loved how you just described the sauna I mean I've never been to a sauna in a you know um, Estonia but I love you know I love log cabin saunas and whatnot and I think what's so nice about the way that you uh, portray it as a place of ritual a place of seasons and a place of fun and play of sometimes pragmatic um it was such mm -hmm. you could capture the energy of that which you what you just said throughout the whole um the whole time watching the film uh is that yeah I mean is, you want to talk a little bit more about the sauna as a space for you know for these women for for the culture and whatnot well smoke sauna uh, is very very old um, sacred space it dates back to pre-christian times so we cannot really know how many or how many thousands of years old this tradition is but um, it is a place where women used to give birth wash the dead and heal and um, it is um, and I come from that culture and, and my granny was passing on the heritage to me so this is uh, this is a place where you go and you wash not just your body, but also your soul. And it's a place that can um, save space where you can be, uh, you can validate all your emotions and experiences and, um, and has this kind of power. Like my granny always said, like part of you, when you go there, part of you always dies and part of you is reborn. It has that transformation and healing power. And um, when I think about smoke sauna, um, I always talk about the story when I was uh, myself 11 and um, and my grandfather had just died and, and his body was in the farm and we went to um, smoke sauna before the funeral because that's what you do <clears throat> with granny and aunt and niece. And then uh, uh, it was there my granny uh, said and confessed that the grandfather had actually betrayed on her and lived with another woman and then she released all these emotions you know like fear and, and, and pain uh, anger um, uh, frustration um, you know all these things and we were there witnessing just being without judgment just like letting it all out and then when we went out I felt that granny had made peace with grandfather so like next day uh, we could bury grandfather in peace and I think there I really understood what, um, it got to my to my system as this 11 year old uh, what smoke sauna does that that you can go there and validate absolutely everything that you have had and experienced and when you validate those experiences and emotions without shaming without judging then actually there's huge healing power and you like empower the power comes back to you and and you should not be i should not be afraid of whatever emotions i have and um and um so i think this is what what is carrying that um uh, that essence in the film and uh, for me the element of water was very important because a lot of chants are connected with water and um and water when you think about it water takes different forms you know like frozen and you know melts up so uh, for me there is um, this layer of water gives a lot of hope that even when there are feelings inside us or experiences where we are like frozen and we feel almost ready to die or it's like death is frozen yeah then um, then it's possible to um, um, make them flow like heat them up and then in sauna you in smoke sauna you sweat out this um, physical dirt like being there, you know, 
and more first it's surfaced and more deeper levels come to surface of dirt, but also emotionally. And, and it is belonging, smoke sauna is belonging to the bigger spiritual, um, um, how to call it, spirituality, where um, nature is sacred, where um, we are part of nature, when understanding of time is also different. Understanding of time is not linear, but cyclic, like in nature. So, uh, and there is huge hope in that. Uh, I think we, we as humanity, we, we, we need to connect again, reconnect with, with ourselves, uh, with each other and with nature and Mother Earth and, uh, and, um, and Smoke Sauna helps to do that. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you talked a lot about the visuals and how you, how you uh, film the bodies and angles and, and things like that, which I, yeah, were stunning. But I also really love the soundscape that you were building. I mean, from the, from the music, but also, and, and the singing to just the sounds of, of the sauna. And I was just wondering how, like who you worked with in terms of sound and how that worked together, because it was mm -hmm really ma masterful as I said with everything mm -hmm. else that was very special mm -hmm. and it made me think about exactly how intimate a sauna space is but those like mm -hmm. those, like elemental things that are happening I thought that was really really helpful in getting into the film thank you so much uh, you said the elements exactly the elements were very important in the soundscape um, all the sounds kind of arrival are born from the elements that you that are present in smoke sauna and uh, we were working so the voices of the women is um uh, i have a band uh, ether that is me and and two women and uh, we all have roots in the um, uh, south uh, east estonia so uh, from the start i felt that because the film is talking about the voices of women i i i felt that the voices of women have to be one important element in the in the uh, sounds, uh, so the voices of women, and then combining with these sounds from the actual uh, smoke sauna, and we were collaborating with Eta, uh, collaborating with uh, Icelandic composer uh, Edvard Egilsson, and it was super beautiful. Basically, the first meeting with Edvard was that. Uh, we invited uh, him to Estonia to smoke sauna. So basically, uh, first meeting is like, hello, let's get naked, let's go to smoke sauna. And but I felt it was so important that he experiences it, the soundscape also. So he experienced it. He really connected and fell in love with with this uh, tradition and and uh, the space and 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 recorded did a lot of field recordings and and then uh, later I went to Iceland and we recorded together in studio, in his studio. And uh, also um, uh, there was uh, Icelandic uh, sound designer, Hulda Freyr Arnason, who was, um, who was then uh, putting the sounds together. And then Eddie Edward was like uh, giving that, that feeling and knowledge of the yeah. smoke sauna soundscape to him. Amazing. Um, one logistic question you, I, I, I don't maybe, uh, filming in a sauna like with this equipment and stuff is that something you have to take breaks or things like that you know I mean and it's something I, I just thought of the equipment um and also just maybe the amount of people and the amount and also as you said creating this kind of safe space um where where there was trust I mean how did you sort of navigate logistics of filming inside a very hot space 
Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a total challenge, of course. I mean, <clears throat> first of all, when you go to someone that, okay, I'm going to film in a dark, small, uh, wet, moist, uh, you know, steamy space, uh, hot, uh, general um, uh, average uh, temperature was 80 degrees Celsius, uh, or sometimes more, sometimes uh, a bit less, but mostly 80. I mean, it is. It sounds like crazy plan, but then again, like as a director, you have to have your good partners uh, coming with you. So, cinematographer and uh, sound uh, designer uh, Stamnik and and Anel Kadalip, and of course my producer Mariana Ostrat, we they really supported this vision. And so we we thought through all the process. It was um, it, I had to take care not just like how the people are there emotionally but also like that nobody basically passes off or how do you call it in English you know doesn't fade <laughs> and uh, so um, yes in, in smoke sauna you are there in the hot then you go out then you go back one session can last for four hours but you know back and forth so we had one lens that was outside and uh, when we went outside and the other one we had to adjust together with um, heating up the sauna so like uh, you heat up the sauna for six hours and then it is done you cannot put more uh, wood um, and while heating up uh, so we first put uh, one lens onto the floor then after two hours more up then more up uh, and um, then we had ice packs around the camera and gloves uh, because oh. camera gets um, you know metal can burn you um, drinking a lot of water um, and, and checking, yes, that everyone is physically also good. But there was no only sound uh, uh, sound operator and uh, camera uh, cinematographer and me, uh, everyone else assistants were outside. Um, one final question is just, I, I guess, it, the thought of, I mean, there's so much trauma stories being told and um, and they're really intense, but there are moments where there's quite beautiful kind of fun, happy play. Um, mm -hmm. What was your overall ambition with the tone of the film? Because I think they interplay so well together. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, is that just, is that how it happened? Or did you really want to make sure there was a certain, what did, what did you want people to come away from? Um... Well, it, the film is kind of depicting, like for me, it was important how to depict the, the session that can be like yeah, four hours or something, how to depict that into a film, that experience of the whole smoke sauna, um, how it goes deeper and deeper, these layers that start to sweat off, and um, to give you the whole palais of, the, of that experience and give the encouragement not to be afraid of... Uh, um, traumas uh, or speaking about traumas and uh, not to be afraid of that because when we share them and we have the, the community around who listens there is huge healing healing uh, energy and, and empowerment so like that um, yes you can be there you can go through joy you can go through tears you can go through everything and in the end uh, go out like them you know give give this feeling that uh, um that you have kind of cleansed or you have regained your your strength and power in like accepting all those things and sharing them and not hiding them. Um, I think this this to give this this feeling that I felt as an 11 year old when I went out uh, from the smoke sauna before the funeral of my grandfather with my granny, where I got this um, 
deep encouragement not to be afraid of the dark spaces inside me and um, and to find those safe uh, safe spaces to share them not to be afraid of that and 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 believe in the healing and in hope that a life after trauma is possible that's the message well that's beautiful um and it does it's really it really works out so well thank you so much for taking the time um i'm i assume you have or i don't assume i do you have plans for future work uh are you working on something now yeah I am working. It's too early to talk. I don't like to talk <laughs> too early. I will, but I am. I am actually. I'm right now here also working. So Good. there are several things. I'm. I have. I have. I have ideas and things are flowing from me. So uh, hopefully and next uh, with next project we can talk talk again. <laughs> Absolutely, and um, yeah, I look forward to it because I'll be following your work um, from now. And um, I really highly, like I said, men, tell everyone in our who was listening to go to uh, your film. I believe it's playing in Glasgow, and on the thirteenth of October, I believe is when it's it's out. Um, I checked, and huge thank you for taking the time. I can't. Um, I hope we get to to meet again. So, yes, thank you so much. Thank you so much. wraps up our September edition um what is everyone looking forward to uh, in the next uh, few weeks cinema wise cool so uh, as I said earlier I'm looking forward to Shortscape Film Festival uh just to plug that again I've not been asked to by the way I just really I'm just really stoked about it uh so yeah Shortscape Film Festival is on at Leith Arches next week um celebrating developing Scottish film and video industry and also since we've been talking about the Chilean regime and um Pablo Lorraine uh, cinematic are and have been running uh, events around the anniversary the 50th anniversary uh in edinburgh and glasgow so uh, check out the cinematic uh website there may be still be things going on near you in the next week yeah uh, similarly i am looking forward to the glasgow youth film festival which is taking place from uh friday 22nd to sunday 24th of september at the uh, good old glasgow film theater um Actually, opening that festival is Brother, which we've just discussed. Uh, so that that should be a great festival, um, put on by, uh, young young film programmers. Um. So in my case, I think I did like the the big thing near me is going to be London Film Festival. Um. So I'm, I am looking forward to checking that out. It's um, you know, I mean, putting a you know, putting aside my kind of um cynicism shall we say about uh you know the amount of things that get concentrated into london film festival i think in successive shows i've discovered i've described where i'm living as <laughs> castle gray skull last month and then mordor this month so you know like yeah i'm i'm assimilating well i'm assimilating well down here um but you know there are a lot of good things going on at fs i'll be trying to check out a lot of that i'm glad that like, despite the fact i don't live there i'm actually glad that so you mentioned glasgow youth film festival because i actually took a look at the um I took a look at the program for that and it looks really it looks really good and I think I think Brothers mm -hmm. are a good film to open it with and it's got a nice kind of like you know sugar rush of a screen of the matrix to finish things off uh, that one as well. Yes, immersive um, screening. They're encouraging people to uh, dress up which <laughs> I, I imagine will get very warm with all that leather. In, uh, <laughs> the Glacial film yeah. 
Um, but no, but I think the the main thing for me will be um, London London Film Festival. In terms of general releases, I think um, you know it, it is going to be at London Film Festival. But I think I, I'm very interested to see the new Scorsese film. Um, you know, that's always something I'm I'm interested in checking out. But as we said at the top of the show. I think the things I'm really looking forward to are finding the little little things around the edges of the festival, you know. Um, you know, like one we reviewed on the show last year it was about, you know, some, you know, an arcade gamer in Denmark and things like that. You know, just little little things like that where, you know, they're not things that I'm necessarily going to stumble across unless I force myself to stumble across them at a film festival. Yeah. So that's the sort of thing I'm looking forward to. Absolutely, of course. And it looks like a great program. So um, I, I encourage everyone to check out if they can, if they're in the London area or can go to some of the satellite screenings across the UK uh, to check out the program. Um, I'll do some plugs for Cinetopia. So this will be airing on Tuesday and on Thursday, we'll be bringing back our networking events um, on Thursday. So please come. It's free. It's, I mean, it's just about connecting with you know, other filmmakers in Edinburgh. And um, speaking of dress up, save the date for the 31st of uh, October. Um, we'll be doing a sing-along of Rocky Horror Picture Show, which was one of one of our favorite events we did at Lee Theater, but we'll be doing that at the Voodoo Rooms um, this year around. We did that with Pretty in Pink earlier this year. So uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show is our next. But I'd also just say in October to make sure you check out Smokes on a Sisterhood, uh, and thanks to Anna for joining us. It's a wonderful uh, documentary, and it will be playing at the Cameo and as well as GFT. But it's a great film, and I highly recommend you checking it out. And hopefully we'll have some more announcements on documentaries coming up soon as well. So that is our show, and a huge thank you for the team for uh, for joining us this, this month. Um, so see you soon. Okay.